You know that great historian, Ice Cube? Yeah. Hiya, strangers, and welcome to Half-Assed History, the podcast where two embarrassingly unqualified people teach you about a topic. Get ready for some mildly incorrect information and a lot of side tangents. Well, first of all, this is Half-Assed History. I'm Cola, and I'm with my good friend Sam, finally! Hi! So thrilled that we are finally recording this. I know. I know. I recorded with Aaron Hall last night, and it was, like, just so adorable. Really? Yeah, because he's adorable. What was what was his history? Was it church-related? No. <laughs> I mean, it did kind of link back to that because it was about the Great Molasses Flood in Boston, and he served his mission in Boston. So he was like, I've been on those streets. He's like, it's crazy. But yeah. Do you know about the Great Molasses Flood? <laughs> I do not. <laughs> No, I it don't. Sounds, it sounds like the most ridiculous thing where you're like, okay, a molasses flood, but it actually like devastated North Boston and killed like 21 people. Like it was, <laughs> it was actually like, really bad, but it's, the, it's like the funniest thing to try and explain, but you're like, it was actually very terrible. But anyway, yeah. What's been up with you? <laughs> Not much. Like I said, I still do film as much as I can. Not as much, but, and then I work at this homeless shelter, which is, uh fun (laughs) i don't know you just meet uh very interesting people and they tell you very interesting things about the government and uh all kinds of fun stuff incredible yeah but so like i said what i was gonna tell you because we were gonna record that day and uh yeah so we had this this person come in she was dropped off by another agency which happens a lot like cops would be like hey we found this person bringing them over whatever so bring this person over she comes in she does like intake which is basically like we do kind of like a little interview to see how you are and if you're a good fit because like we won't let people in if they have like violence or sexual predators and yada yada sure so like they're doing her intake and we get another call from the agency that brought her over and they're like oh by the way uh just heads up i don't know if we should have told you this but like she got like in trouble because she was chasing her grandkids around with a gun like playing hide and seek like she wasn't doing it like i'm gonna shoot you like more like sure yeah you know like hey i'm grandma let's play hide and seek with this gun so yeah i mean my grandma did that so yeah exactly (laughs) you know like most stable grandparents that's what happens and uh so we're like sure okay and so there's like just a heads up just check to see if she has a gun and we're like okay fine so she comes oh out my gosh and i mean there's nothing in her record you know so she's she can come to shelter and while she's out in the lobby i was like okay i'm gonna go through your stuff like do you have any weapons and she's like no i don't got any weapons and i was like okay i was like nothing no knives no nothing blah 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 and then she's like nope none i was like do you have any guns and she's <laughs> like well i got this one and she pulls out this like stop <laughs> Here, I have my kid's toy. So she goes, whoosh, and pulls out this gun. She's like, you mean like this one? And the thing, she's not even doing like proper safety. So, you know, finger out. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah. like this. On and, the trigger, great. And she's waving it, like literally, waving it around like crazy. And I'm just like, and me and the other guy are just like, ma'am, like, please, like either put the gun <sighs> down or give me the gun, whatever. And she's just, so the only way I can really describe this lady is like, yosemite sam like that's how she <laughs> like 
because like she wasn't doing it like maliciously like i'm gonna shoot you she was just like yeah woo like yeah like this is my gun and like you know and uh i finally just kind of like so it was me uh the guy who did the intake and then the other uh rm who's worked and the other rm he's like this young guy and he's kind of like freaking a little bit and uh so like i finally go like ma'am just like give me the fucking gun she's like okay fine and so she gives me the gun and she's like it's not loaded and then like she gives me the gun and like it's kind of heavy so like yeah i I pop the yeah i pop the clip down it's it's loaded there's one in the chamber and i just remember being like because like it's that moment that hits you where i'm just like fuck like (laughs) you could have you could have shot me in the fucking face you dumb bitch like right you're like, look, I know that you weren't coming in here to be like, I'm going to shoot some people, but you're like carelessly waving a loaded gun around with your finger on the trigger. Like, yeah. that. Th- oh my gosh, that so is like, horrifying. So like, uh, you know, we obviously call the cops and the cops show up and they've like, they've dealt with her before. Like they know who she is. So like, <laughs> they're like, all right, you know, we can't be doing that with guns. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like... They're like, so they confiscate a gun, and they're like, do we want to press charges? And I'm kind of like, no, because, like, like I said, she's not maliciously trying to murder us. Yeah. And she's, like, severely mental health case, so it's like, what is yeah. jail really going to do? So we're like, no, we're not going to press charges, but, like, she cannot have the gun. So the cops confiscate the gun, and uh, they're like, all right, we're going to keep the gun. And she's like, he's like, so you can't have it the whole time you're here. And she's just like, all right, well, when I get out, I'm coming to the cops and I'm getting my gun back. And then she like laughs like a crazy old bitty and like runs away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I text you, we were going to record on like a Friday night or something. And I was like, Hey, are we still on? And you're like, yeah. Um, I don't know because somebody brought a gun to work. And I was like, huh? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. No, no worries. Like, cool, cool, cool. (laughs) Yeah. No, and it was just like, and it was funny too. Cause like the, the other RM who was working there, he's like, he's a young kid. I remember afterwards he was like, he's like, Hey, uh, you don't think like any less of me, do you? And I was like, why? And he's like, cause I like really panicked when that gun, when she pulled that gun. And I was like, no. Yeah. And he's like, well, you just, like, handled it. And I was like, here's the thing, man. Like, I've had, I used to do, like, bouncing and security. So, like, I've had guns and knives pulled on me. Like, it's, here's the thing. I'm like, it's a problem that, like, I'm okay with it. Like, that's the problem. That doesn't make me, like, more of a man because I'm like, ugh, who gives a shit, you know? (laughs) A gun, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm like, I, because I've had it happen. So, I'm like, yeah, like, I know what to do and I I can help de-escalate. So yeah, like, you're no. you're more conditioned to that kind of thing where a sweet little Mormon kid who has never had anything bad happen, I'm sure, is like, what? What yeah. do I do? Yeah, and so, but it was just funny. It was kind of cute because he was like, he was like worried I would think that he was like less of a man. And I'm like, no, no, dude. Like, like I said, I'm like, if anything, it's it's bad that I'm okay with it. Like, no one should be okay with this, but. No. That's how it is. So, um, yeah, that was basically it. That's like, yeah, that's the the fight, flight, or freeze thing, you know, where it's like yours is probably fight because you've now been conditioned to that. And I always used to think, like, I wonder if I would fight and just be, like, real tough about whatever situation, you know? Like, I wonder if that would be my response. And then I was like, 
Yeah, no, it would absolutely 100% be flight. And I have like no shame saying that. Like if there's a situation, I'm out of there. Sorry, bye. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, and I think, no I don't thanks. think there's a problem. And I think that's what's funny is like, at least in a lot of our society, we like, it's like, that's a problem. And it's like, right. no, like there's nothing wrong with running away from like horrible situations or violence. Like, yeah. And, and I'm sorry. And the, the, I think the only like quote unquote bad part of it is that I will probably like abandon people. I'll be like, bye. Because it's just my initial reaction to be like, get out of bad situations, go, 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 go. And so, you know, I'm like, Oh, I would love to be that person that like helps people or like, I wouldn't love to be, cause I don't want to be in that situation at all. But you know, you always kind of hope like if you're stuck in a situation, you would be that person like like that helps others. And I'm like, I don't know if I would because my flight reaction is very strong. It's like, just bounce, dude. Yeah. Just go. Well, and it's funny too. Cause like my, it happened. There was a, I was with my brother. We were going to get like, just a, like a pop from the gas station. Yeah. And there was these guys outside and they started like fighting. Like they were getting into a fight. Like you said, doing bouncing and all that stuff. Like instinctively, I just walked over and started like breaking it up. And like, and that's when it really hit me where it's like, oh, like like you said, I am in a way conditioned for it. Because, like, I like I, mm-hmm. I didn't even think twice. I just was like, oh, this is happening. This is what we do. And so I stepped between them like, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, we don't want the cops involved. Like, you know, fucking stop. Like, we're in a public place, you <laughs> idiots, you know. And then, like, when it finished up, I went into the gas station. My brother was just like, why did you do that? And I was like, I don't know. Like, it just, <laughs> it just uh-huh. happened. So... But. You're like no clue yeah and i would totally be the person that would be like yeah i'm getting far away from this i'm gonna get into my car and lock the doors and then like maybe call the police i don't know <laughs> <laughs> no and like i said i like i don't i don't i don't think that's a bad thing like i don't know my older brother is like because we were talking about it one time and he was like oh my reaction for sure is to freeze he's like i freeze up and he's like, which is probably the worst one to do, because then you're just like stuck. I was like, yeah, I'm out of there. <laughs> you freeze and I'm abandoning you. Sorry. <laughs> Love you, bro. <laughs> uh, it's terrible. So yeah. should we uh, kick this off? Let's do. Um, I'll start okay. just because I feel like it'd be rude to ask you to. Yeah. Um, all right. I got two options for you here. One I feel like you'll probably know about it's like kind of the biggest government um, like cover up slash government testing on humans. Okay. Do you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? If I say this from like in the 50s, there's a few that I can think of. <laughs> so, is it the uh, was it when they were giving all the like poor black people like syphilis or something? Was it that one? It's not that one. It's it's MK Ultra. Do you know about MK Ultra? Oh yeah, I know about MK Ultra. Okay. Okay. So since you know about that one, I'm not going to do that one then. Okay. Um. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about Agent 355. Have you heard of Agent 355? I've heard. I I've heard that. I don't know what it yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. So Agent 355 is also known as the Mysterious Lady or Madam X, and she was part of the Culper spy ring. Um, So she was basically a female spy during the American Revolution for the United States. And her real identity is still not known to this day. And the number uh, 355 
is actually what the Culper ring used to just mean the word lady. So they would always just like drop the, like they would just drop 355 in conversation and they were like, oh, that means home girl, okay. little miss spy. Um, the Culper spy ring operated from 1778 to 1780 and it operated around the British occupied New York City to Sudakit, Long Island, uh, north to Connecticut, and then west all the way to George Washington's headquarters in Newburgh, New York. Um, The Culper Ring was particularly effective in gathering valuable information from careless conversations between the British and their sympathizers. So these idiots were like hanging out with the rich like assholes of New York. And they were like, yeah, we're going to go do this and this. And there's like this like lady walking around going, you dumb fucks. Like just (laughs) recording it all. What what is it? A loose lip sink ships type of stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's literally what happened. So, um, in like 1778, there was this dude named Benjamin tall Talmadge. And he was a young American officer who was uh, George Washington's new intelligence chief. And George Washington at the time was a general. Um, He is the one that like organized this network of spies. He was like, hey, Washington, what if we do this? And Washington was like, fantastic idea. Don't even tell me who the spies are. Like, not even I want to know. Keep it so secret. Yeah. And he was like, great. So Talmadge went back to like all of his old friends and acquaintances that he knew in his hometown of Sudakit, Long Island. So he just went back to all of his little influential people and was like, guys, want to spy for us? And they were like, yes, we do. Um, There was this guy named Abraham Woodhull who was chosen as like one of his agents and his uh, code name was Samuel Culper Sr., And um, pretty soon he fell under suspicion of British counterintelligence due to his frequent trips to Manhattan. They were like, you know what, guy? (laughs) You're traveling a little too much. I don't trust it. So what he did is he recruited a relative living in his sister's Manhattan boarding house um, who was a dry goods merchant and a society reporter whose name was Robert Townsend. And they named him Samuel Culper Jr., Real quick, Robert so, Townsend. Isn't that a musician nowadays? Robert Townsend. Uh, I only know of like Pete Townsend, right? Maybe that's one thing you know, Pete Townsend. Never mind. Continue. <laughs> no, please interrupt with random ideas because that's the point. <laughs> okay. Well, it sucks too because I remember you said like, yeah, like we, it's just like interrupt and we go on tangents, but like I'm legit like riveted. So like, let me see. Uh, there's there was an oh there's an actor. That's named a, Robert Townsend. Okay. Anyways, continue. Um, okay. So they utilized like a variety of tricks, including um, a type of invisible ink, which was developed by the brother of future Chief Justice John Jay. So, you, you know, we sure. all know John yeah. Jay. Old John Jay. <laughs> Chief, old Chief Justice John Jay. Yeah, we get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. The Culper Ring provided timely and accurate intelligence to American military leaders, but most notably General Washington. So he was getting all of this like great information, but he not even he knew who it was coming from. He was just like, you guys are doing incredible work. Way to go, Culpers. Um, 
Townsend, who was like their central figure because the other guy kind of got found out, uh, he gathered information about British forces in New York City, and then he passed it on to the Sedicate Tavern Keeper named Austin Rowe, who then rode 110 miles to New York uh, to buy supplies, but he would also carry these little dispatches. So he'd be like, I got to make this super long ass run into New York. And then he would just be like, here's all of these, like, all, like all this information that's written in invisible ink. And, uh, like it came from Townsend's New York store and all this stuff. So it's very like national treasury. Like, Although, and it's wild too. Cause like when you think about spies, at least for me, um, you always, like, especially during war, it's always like world war two ish where it's like, yeah, you know, it's like, <laughs> Oh, like Casablanca, Mont, that, that kind of bullshit. But then it's like, no, nah, man, they've been doing this forever, and it's, like, kind yeah. of the same shit, and it's, like, kind of cool in a way, like, that it's, like... It's incredible. It's, like, ye olden spies, which is, like, kind of <laughs> fucking rad. It's way cool. It's also, like, like, 110 miles is, like, so very long, but also, you know, you're, like, oh, that's a, you know, two hours, but whatever. That's, like, a pretty far distance, but then when you think about it, like, oh, he had to do this on horse. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was probably, like, so long. Two days. Yeah, where he's like, I got to ride all the way to New York to deliver, the, like, to go get supplies. And then he's really just, like, transferring information, which is also wild to think about, too, because they had to take these long journeys and get information from, like, person to person to person to person before it got to George Washington. And by that point, it's like, is it even relevant? Yeah. It's been six months. Yeah, like exactly. <laughs> it's been 400 years since this, you know, was planned. Yeah. Well, that's like, so, uh, I remember... Um, I don't remember where I heard it, but it was this little factoid of like how humans could only go as fast as a horse up until the invention of the train. And like, that's as fast as you could yeah. ever go. And like, you think about that, you're like, yeah, of course the train wasn't invented until whatever, fucking 18, whatever. But then it's like, when I got thinking about it, I'm like, that's actually really fucking wild that that's as fast as you could go was a horse. That's it. That's as fast as you could go yeah. on land. Nothing could go faster. And now it's like, we have cars that go like 100 million miles an hour yeah <laughs> so it's like we invented planes like the, yeah we're not we're not struggling to get from place to place quickly you know yeah. well even just like like that like flying to dallas it was like i think it's like a two-hour flight out of vegas and i'm like i remember this guy next to me he's like oh god this flight's blah 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 and then i think about it like in terms of history and i'm like bitch you would this would be like months of your life would be dedicated to like going to Dallas and like you might not even make it there because of like bears and like my people would be trying to murder you and like, like dysentery like yeah it's insane so I don't know it's cool so no, sorry about side tangent about the traveling mechanics of humans it's true but I mean, when you're a spy, that's inf that's information that is like time sensitive. So yeah. yeah, it's it's like crazy to think about how well they were able to run this, you know? Because mm -hmm. it's like I can't be that organized. No, and it's like we have like <laughs> phones with apps designed for to be or to organize us, and I, I still can't fucking do it. Like no, right? Like, do you know how many times I've been lost? I tried to go to uh, lunch with a coworker on Friday and I like missed an exit and it was an additional 20 minutes to get to the place because I just missed an exit. And I was like using GPS. I was like, how, how did I manage this? Like I'm literally <laughs> f 
following, it's like, I, it's the simplest thing in the world. Just follow the map. And I <laughs> totally messed it up. Like it yells at you, like take the next right. And I still missed it. Like, <laughs> uh, it's insane. So in Sedicut, I'm probably saying that wrong. It's fine. It's fine. Nobody's listening at this to come <laughs> yell at me. <laughs> um, Until you put it online, then then there will be men who make sure it's that you made it made a mistake. <laughs> they will let you know real fast. That is true. Oh, good old men. Anyway, um, <laughs> so in Sedicate, there was this guy named Caleb Brewster, who was another ring member, and he was Talmadge's childhood friend. So Talmadge was like the um, initial guy that set this all up if we forgot because there's lots of names. Um, he was a childhood friend of this dude and he was captain of a whaleboat that raided British ships on Long Island Sound. And oh, that sounds um, fucking cool. <laughs> right? So since he was like a well-known figure in Sedicate, it wasn't safe for him to always land his boat in the same spot. So he had like six different landing places and every few weeks he would like slip into one of the harbors uh, or into one of the coves of the harbor and received dispatches. And there was this lady named Anna Smith Strong who lived near um, like Strong's Neck, which is like, or she lived nearby on Strong's Neck. Okay. And she would signal his exact location. So he had like the six different like docking spots. She would signal his location by using her clothesline and a certain number of handkerchiefs like she would pin up a certain number of handkerchiefs to let air dry. And that would like, let the other spies know where he was docked. Oh, that's fucking cool. Right. And then like Woodhull would be like, Oh, we got to go send all like the dispatches out to Brewster's ship to go get all this stuff. So it was like a really well-oiled machine. Um, but they weren't able to get like super great information on the actual British army, just really good information on the British Navy. So they were like, Oh, like we're only hitting half of it. So what do we do? So there's this like a uh, quote or like uh, it was probably written down that Woodhull at one point said, quote, I intend to visit 727, which was the code for New York before long and think by the assistance of a 355, which is a lady um, of my acquaintance shall be able to out with them all. He was basically like, yo, women overhear things because men just talk and they're like, she's a woman, yeah. whatever. Especially like back then they were like, don't mind my wife. She'll yeah. just, you know, whatever. Or don't, like, don't mind, mind the maids. They're simple. <laughs> yeah. The maids can't understand this, like this complex manly work. Yeah, they're it's simple. Al- it's almost like you can talk in front of the chair. It doesn't know yeah. anything. <laughs> it's like- so, so true. Real, um, real quick though. Like how, what was the number he used for New York? Seven, like, 727. Is this where we get area codes from? I don't know. Or is this a question for another podcast that knows more history? I'm going to put... <laughs> That's a question for hardcore history where they do <laughs> six hour long yeah. episodes that are well prepared yeah. for. And I just copy and paste shit from the internet that are probably not uh, credible sources. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. All right. <laughs> I don't know. That would be, um, is 727 a New York number? Because, like, I don't know. I feel like it might be. Well, cause just because, we'll like, the, the three numbers. That's why I was like, oh, okay. Like, I don't know. Um, let's find out, actually. Oh, yeah, I guess we could just Google shit. It's Pennsylvania. Okay. 
So well, you know, close. Well, let's uh, <laughs> after after we're done, let's write a email to Hardcore History and be like, "Can you do a ten hour episode on <laughs> fucking zip codes and why we have them in area yeah, codes?" For real. Please tell me why we have these and where they came from. Yeah, but you know, if he did, it would be like all this. It'd be he'd get in that history and it'd be like super fucking violent. He's like, "Oh, it's just like," and then the area code for this is because 180 people were murdered. <laughs> like, and here's how they were. You're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> we're going to go into detail. I tried to listen to one of his episodes because my brother on like the first episode of this was like, well, there's a hardcore history. And I was like, there is. Oh, and I good, put it though. on and I was like, I was like, I can't deal with this. I tried to listen to it while I was at work and I was like, oh, this was a bad idea. I do not have six hours to just be like sad. <laughs> yeah, no, I the first one I listened to was of his was called Ghosts of the House Front, which was like the russian side of world war ii and at the time i was with my ex and like i'd be doing dishes listening to it and she was like what are you listening to because apparently every like 10 minutes i'd just be like holy shit and then i'd be like (laughs) i'd do something and then be like god damn and then like because like every bit of information is just like here's how horrible men are to each other and it's just constant and it doesn't stop and it's i was just like jesus christ this is like too fucking much yeah so it never it never ends no it doesn't which is fun it's kind of fun so great at least we're consistent yeah (laughs) humans are consistent in their shittiness and that's what's great you'll never be surprised um so uh woodhall the dude was like we got to get us a woman because she'll kind of go unnoticed. And also, she's going to be able to manipulate those men. She's going to be able to, like, sidle up to them and be like, so what are your plans? Yeah, she'll lift her dress. And they're going to be dress. like, here they all are. She'll lift her dress <laughs> to show a little bit of ankle. And they'll be like, what do you want to know? Truly. She'll be like, I'm fascinated by these these war things. My simple mind just can't understand it. Can you please explain? And they'll be like, sure. Here's what the plan is. We're going to take out Washington. And she's going to be like, dope. <laughs> but they also believed back then that like women had the same uh, allegiance as their husbands. They were just like, oh, of course. She couldn't possibly be for the revolution. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was great. So um, within like two months, there were detailed like headquarters level intelligence on the British British God. Army. <laughs> Within two months, she was like, here you go. <laughs> nice. And um, that one quote of him saying he was going to New York and talking to uh, a woman is the only direct reference to Agent 355 in any of the Culpa Ring documents. It's like only mentioned once. So she was like, secret upon secret. Wow. And very productive. <laughs> um, That's awesome. Uh, they... Yeah, they think she was so good at getting information because she must have come from, like, a prominent loyalist family, which is, like, British supporters, for those that you don't know. And um, Which is me. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's, like, a prominent loyalist family in New York City. So there were, like, constantly British officers around and British society, like, coming through the house and having dinners and all this kind of stuff. And so she was just able to be like, yep, 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 got all this information. Um When it came down to, like, actually meeting on the field, it was obvious Washington had been warned about, like, a surprise attack that the British had planned. They were like, hold up. How did you know this? 
Um, they investigated and questioned everyone in one particular loyalist house. So like, they were like, this is where the leak came from. And they questioned everyone except for a young woman named Lydia, because they were like, just again, too stupid to think that like all women held the same political views as their husbands. So they were like, it's fine. Don't talk to Lydia. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here, Lydia. I think she was like super (laughs) conspicuous too, writing shit down. Like, what are you doing? She's like, nothing. like, Oh, you drawing pictures of birds? Get the fuck out of here. We got, like, men <laughs> shit to do. She's like, I'm practicing my words, and I'm sending a letter to mother. And they were like, neat. Like, get yeah. out of here with your letter yeah. writing. Get out of here, you dope. Like, we got shit. We have to find this spy. <laughs> and, you know, her husband was like, ah, she's so damn simple. She's just in our way. Like, get out of here. We have to interview these people. <laughs> like, <laughs> just dummies. Um <sighs> And so it like earlier in this, um, earlier in recording these episodes, I did an episode about Hedy Lamar. Do you know who she was? Yeah. She was so badass. So she was actually married to this like Nazi sympathizer and he used to have all these like Nazi officers come over to dinner and they would like talk about stuff. And she just like sat there and learned it all. And then eventually like developed shit for the allies. Cause she was like, you fucking idiots. And so I was like, if we have learned anything from her, it's that like men say stupid shit in front of their wives. And then those wives are like, I'm going to use this against you to win the war. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause they're, they're fantastic. Of so, course. so there was this dude named major Andre, who was the guy that was like questioning everyone. Um, he went to South Carolina and when he went down there, pretty much all the information stopped and became useless. So it was like, uh Oh, Um, But when Andre returned back to New York, the Culper Ring was reporting the biggest scoop of the war, and the American general was in uh, compact with the enemy and was going to betray the American cause. Hmm. And so everyone's like, why did information stop when Andre went down there and continue when it came back to New York? And so there's like... It's all very convoluted still where it's like nobody really knows because they did such a good job of keeping everything secret that it's still like we don't know who actually (laughs) were any of these people for the most part. But anyways, this information that came back in like when Andre came back to New York was that the British planned to use this traitor as a way to capture West Point, which was the most important fort on the continent at the time. And ladies and gentlemen, that traitor was Benedict Arnold. So um, he was basically going to receive money for handing over West Point. He was like, yeah, great money. And I like have always heard Benedict Arnold and like how he was a traitor, probably mainly from like Ice Cube lyrics. Um, Yeah, of course. (laughs) You know that great historian, Ice Cube? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you know. So it's like, I don't actually think I knew a whole lot about Benedict Arnold. I probably learned about him in school, but my brain was like, neat, whatever, like. Well, plus, if it was in school, it was probably, like, the most basic, like, he traded, he was a trader, the end. And it's like, oh, yeah, fuck that guy. America. I'm five. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I was like, oh, Benedict Arnold, like, I don't even think I remembered that he was a trader from the American Revolution. I was just like, he was a trader somewhere. Like, I don't know. So um, it is speculated that uh, Agent 355, who passed along the critical information that exposed the treason of Benedict Arnold... Um, and led to the arrest of Major John Andre. I phrased that so poorly. They think it was 355 who passed along the information that 
exposed Benedict Arnold and led to the arrest of Major John Andre. There we go. Um, Andre was captured with maps of West Point and a pass signed by Arnold in his possession. And Benjamin Talmadge, who I mentioned earlier, his memoirs reveal a struggle to prevent the news of Andre's capture from reaching Benedict Arnold. Because uh, they were like, don't let him know that his buddy got arrested. Like, <sighs> But... Benedict Arnold eventually escaped, but Andre confessed and was hanged. So basically, it all just didn't didn't go down the way that it was supposed to because of a woman, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's fantastic. Let's see. Okay, so they think, again, we don't know for sure who she was, but there is like, they do maybe think she was this one lady that got captured. So as the trap closed around on Andre before he was captured and hanged, um, it triggered like a roundup of suspects in the British occupied territory. They, they went in and they were like, let's just arrest everyone we think could be like complicit in this spy ring. And um, there was this pregnant lady that they think maybe was agent 355. She was arrested and questioned and she refused to reveal any information about her activities or who the father of her child even was. And um, Townsend, like the guy way back from the beginning, um, he apparently had like this really like deep emotional attachment to this lady and he was trying to gather money for her freedom. So we were like, Oh, maybe this was her because he was clearly very attached to her. And she was like, I'm not saying shit. Cause again, she was a badass. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's a fucking they, for real. They arrested her and she was held aboard this notorious ship called the HMS Jersey in New York Harbor. And those like the conditions on the prison prison ships were like, super, super horrific. And they say that like life expectancy was only a few months. Um, she later gave birth to a boy, but allegedly she died aboard the ship. So, so they think she might be the agent. Yeah. Cause it was just this like, and we don't even know who this lady is that like had died on board. They were just like, we think it was this pregnant lady because Townsend who like kind of designed the whole culprit ring was like, I got to get money to get her free. And like, they think he was probably the father of her child, but like they were all just tight lipped about everything. Um, so there's, there's thoughts that like, it's maybe this lady, there's thoughts that maybe it's Anna strong, who was the lady who hung the handkerchiefs out. They're like, maybe it was her. Um, they think maybe possibly it was Lydia who was the wife of the prominent loyalist. Who's just busy writing letters. And they're like, get out of here. Yeah. That dummy. <laughs> <laughs> You said, what are you drawing, birds? Because <laughs> now that's all I picture is just this, like, this woman, like, what? Just, sketching just sketching just, cardinals. Yeah, like. just drawing blue jays. They're in season. Yeah. Just, like, get out of here, dummy. We got war shit to talk about. Go draw birds somewhere else. <laughs> no, you know they were totally like, I don't know, just let her draw her birds in the corner. Who gives a shit? She's yeah. busy. Like her husband's like, it's okay. Like they're birds. Like she can sit. She can sit in this corner. Like it'll be fine. It'll be fine. They're like, she's fine over there. Let's talk Benedict Arnold. He's gonna give us West Point. <laughs> like, <laughs> idiots. Um. So yeah. So there's a lot of evidence that Townsend may have been in love with this lady that was on the ship, and um. Oh, and they actually think that maybe she was his common law wife. And in fact, her son that was born aboard that ship was named Robert Townsend Jr. So they're like, all right, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they were definitely in love at the very least, but who knows? Um, there's a couple other possible candidates, including this lady named Sarah Horton. Sarah Horton Townsend, again, all the Townsends, um, or maybe Elizabeth Bergen, but we don't know. 
Um, there, it's also like occasionally believed that there was no agent 355, but rather the code indicated a woman who just had useful information, but wasn't connected to the ring. So maybe they were just like, he was just like, I'm going to New York to talk to this lady who might give me some information and that's it. Um, and they're saying like, maybe the code itself just referred to a woman rather than like a specific agent that was a woman. Um, however, there's this guy named Alexander Rose who disagrees with this narrative um, stating that females were not kept aboard prison ships and, oh, sorry. He disagreed with the narrative that agent 355 was like captured and died on a ship. Hello dog. Go away. Uh, he's like, he's like, females weren't kept aboard prison ships and there's no record whatsoever of a birth being on like any of these ships. And, um, it says strengthening the idea that agent 355 may have been Anna Strong, the handkerchief lady, is the fact that her husband, Sella Strong, was actually imprisoned on the Jersey ship and was supposedly allowed, um, she was supposedly allowed to bring him food and her presence on the ship may have led to the legend that like agent 355 was imprisoned there. So basically this entire lady is a giant question mark. Yeah. All we know is like some bitch somewhere on like in New England had information on the British and it like helped us win the war. Yeah. But other than that, we don't know anything else about her. It's like maybe it was this lady, maybe it was this lady, maybe it was none of them. Like maybe we don't it was know. all maybe of she died. Yeah. Maybe she got a baby. Maybe she didn't. Like, n no clue. So and uh, so yeah. that, bring, that, bring, that makes me want to ask you a question. In your in your heart of hearts, who do you want it? <laughs> I mean, like, I now want it to be Lydia because I just find it hysterical that like it's just because of the nar the narrative that we've developed for her <laughs> that everyone views her as just like a dunce, but like <laughs> yes, <laughs> they were like. Oh, sweet Lydia. She's so simple. And she's just like, you assholes, if you call me simple one more time. Yeah. Is the simpleton going to be winning this war, you motherfucker? <laughs> right? <laughs> she was like, like, you know, she just was like, this husband, if he does, if he does one more thing, I'm done. And I'm going to Washington. And then he doesn't. She's like, you just, you just signed your death certificate. Like, I'm done with you. I give, I've given you so many chances. Okay, and then here's my other question. Because uh, we're both of film backgrounds and visual art. Mm. If this was a movie, who would you want to play Agent 357? 355. Oh, sorry, 355. Um, <laughs> you're still thinking of guns. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I... You know what's interesting? And it's it's simply just because I've watched Marvel movies. Um, is it Agent 13? Do you know who I'm talking about? She's in the Captain America movies. Um, which one is that one? Let's see. It's, yeah, Agent 13. Um, it's Sharon Carter. She's like the daughter of Peggy Carter, whatever. I don't know. She is in the Captain America movies. She's played by Emily Van Camp. Is she that blonde, blonde lady in the second one? Yes. Okay, uh -huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like the neighbor and she's just like, hey, I'm just doing laundry. And then it find, like you find out that she's actually like been placed there. Um, reading this, this is all that I picture for some reason, even though it's like, it, she would like, I like Emily Van Camp, but she'd never be my first choice for the most part, I don't think. But for some reason reading this, I'm just like, yeah, her. <laughs> and maybe it's just because I've seen a bunch of shit where she's like a sneaky spy. <laughs> so I've just seen a lot of stuff where she's deceiving people. Cause she was on the show revenge where she's just like living a double life. And so that's all I think of. Yeah. So her. Okay. Nice. 
Who would who would you cast? Um, I don't know, cause like who who's the newest who's the newest like hot young white actress? Like they all blend together in my mind. Like yeah, I'm I, like I, 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 I don't because like instinctively I'd want to be like yeah let's let's uh let's change it up and it'd be someone like I don't know Zoe Saldana because it's like maybe she was like like a slave or something i don't know but like oh make her zoe kravitz because i love zoe kravitz yeah something like that i think it'd be cool but i don't know like i said they all like because as in my mind when i read history that's why i always do is like who would be this person and like right like i said like i'm sure they were all just kind of like white women and like i said no offense but like they all blend together in my mind so i'm like as an actress i'm like i don't know is mark margot robbie is she one she could do it like she'd be great there you go So they are making a movie called 355 in 2021. It's not based on this, but that's kind of like where they got the name of it from. And it's just about um, like, it's a, it's a female cast playing international spies. Um, So they're like, Oh, they kind of based on this, but it's not going to be like revolutionary war or anything. But um, literally it's just the whitest people ever. It's uh, no, that's not true, but it like top billing is Jessica Chastain. So like white. And then um, Diane Kruger, but but then it does have Penelope Cruz and Lupita Nyong'o. So you're like, okay, great. Yeah, okay, I'm into that. And then some other people that I don't know. But <laughs> sorry, like um, actually, Bing Bing fan. Oh, okay. I yeah, like lots of people know her. If I didn't say her, people would be pissed. Yeah, she's great. I think the is... one person that listens. <laughs> Who is the one person that listens? It's me as I edit audio. <laughs> You're like, this is great. This is great podcasting. <laughs> I'm so funny. No, um, not at all ever. Uh, all, all editing this does is go, oh, you are so annoying when you speak. Oh, well, <laughs> it's fine. Anyway, that is Agent 355. I've taught you pretty much nothing useful because, again, we don't even know who the hell she is or if she existed. So it's kind of a pointless story, but also maybe not. No, I mean, it's, it's, it can be no more pointless as like, uh, like what's his face who robbed the plane, D.B. Cooper, and then he jumped out. Like, we don't know who he was. Or like, it's true. But that's the thing. There's a whole genre of like cold case shit where people are like, we don't know anything. Isn't this great? And a part of me is like, no, it's not. Like... Why am I listening to this? Because it's like every cold case is like, and then we never know who got murdered or who the murderer is. The end. Yeah. And it's like, why? And I, I listen to all of that stuff too. And I'm like, who was the Zodiac killer? Like, <laughs> well, I'm Ted Cruz, obviously. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> we all know that one. <laughs> that is still one of the funniest things ever to come out of that. I, I, to this day will randomly think about the picture of Ted Cruz that you sent me of him, like, kind of smiling, and it just says, um... Oh, look, uh, do the look girl for the girl the, with, with the, the crooked smile. Yeah. smile. <laughs> yeah. And she will be loved. That is... I will still randomly think of that message, and I'm just like, that was one of the greatest things I've ever been sent in my life. Like, <laughs> so funny to me. Well, I'm glad, uh... I'm glad I could brighten your day. Yeah. And, Truly. And life, it sounds like. It's true. It's true. Okay. It's fantastic. All right, what are you gonna what are you gonna teach me? I'm gonna try to teach you <laughs> if you uh would stop drawing pictures of birds. And... <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> so uh 
First of all, I would ask you, do you like movies and or stories of animals just murdering the shit out of people? Yes, very well, much. Then this story is for you. It awesome. Is, it is a Sci-Fi Channel original movie come to life. It's called the Senkibetsu Brown Bear Incident. <gasps> oh, I'm so in. It was back in <laughs> December of ninth, December like 9th through the 14th, back in 1915 in Japan. Dope. When a uh, basically a giant brown bear woke up and attacked a bunch of people, and then they had to hunt it down. So it I'm was, in, dude. I love this story. So just a just a break. It was the worst bear attack in Japanese history. Um, it killed seven people, um, and it was in the Rokusan Sawa, Sangbetsu, Tomameo, Rumio, and Hokkaido, Japan. So yeah, and it took place December 9th through the 14th in 1915. So it was a um, Usuri brown bear, um, and it appeared at the I think is the Ikeda family's house in Sangbetsu, Rokusan Sawa. Um, this surprise encounter panicked the family horse, but then the flare or the bear fled after taking only a little bit of harvested corn. Um, and in this days, Senkabetsu was like newly settled, so it was like very like rural and far away, and so like enroachment by like animals was pretty. It was it wasn't uncommon. Okay. Um, so the bear reappeared, and worrying about the safety of the horse, the head of the Ikeda family called in their second son and uh, two villagers. What happened is the bear showed up again on November thirtieth, and they shot it but failed to kill it. And then the next morning, they followed the bear's footprints up into Mount Onishikawa or Onishika. Sorry, Onishika. Along the trail, they discovered like blood stains, but then like a snowstorm hit, and they had to go back. So they believed the bear was just going to die because they thought they fatally injured it, and they were like, ah, it's not going to come bother uh like human settlements it's it's going to leave us alone right little did they know so december 9th. can i just say real fast um i love crazy animal stories like this like earlier i did the beast of jovedon which is like mm. partially where we get a lot of werewolf lore yeah. from but also i love bears so much that i have a bear tattoo this the background of my phone is literally a bear nice. like and i think they're awesome creatures and like don't mess with them because they will like mess you up so this is so fun to me <laughs> i love this okay <laughs> So it gets funner. Um, this is actually one of my favorite like stories and like, um, cause I remember reading like just a blip article about it and it was just like, yeah, this bear went on a rampage and I was like, that's fucking cool. So then like, <laughs> there's like, there's a couple movies in like manga based on it, but like, I haven't found anything that's like really translated. So it's like really yeah. like, I found some of the manga online, but like, again, I can't read Japanese. So I'm like, it looks cool. Like, but I'm like, damn, this would be like, again, it's like a great movie. Like it has everything that makes movies and like about this like great so heck yeah okay so so december 9th 1915 at 10 30 a.m the giant brown bear turned back up at to the it's the ota family abe mayu the farmer's wife and hasume mikio a baby being taken care of mayu were in the house so what happened was the bear actually broke into the house um like broke down the door the baby uh, was bitten on the head and killed. Mayu fought oh back. Gosh. She was like throwing firewood and trying to escape, but she was eventually like the bear knocked her down and dragged her into the woods screaming. Uh, and according to temp- oh contemporary descriptions, the se- when people walked into the house after they found out what happened, it looked like a slaughterhouse with blood puddled on the farmhouse floor. So this bear fucked everyone up in this house. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah, 
Oh, that's so terrifying. Yeah, I just <laughs> I just can't like imagine being like drugged away by a bear. Like that is horrifying. No. I watched that documentary called like Grizzly Man or whatever about yeah. the dude who was like, I, I'm one with the bears. And I was like, you dumb asshole. Like you're not like, I know you think that they are your friends, but they're not like even dogs, your dog can turn on you, man. Like, mm-hmm. and this is a bear. And then he of course, like had these, these ways. Have you watched that? Yeah. Yeah, I have. He has those ways where he like with the bears that he knows, he like has little like almost corrections for them. Like Caesar Milan with dogs where he's like, yeah, and they're like, it's supposed to stop them. And he did it to this bear that like he didn't really know and was notoriously an asshole. That's the one that ate him. And you're like, yeah, yeah, man, it's a bear. Like it's a wild, crazy animal. Like, oh, my gosh. But that that was like him in their like neck of the woods. I cannot imagine being like in a house and a bear just like breaking down your door. Yeah. And not only like, cause like, I mean, there's bears, you know, like when you live in places like this, like bears will come into your house, but like this one, like broke in, like it, yeah, it was all filled with murder. <laughs> That's like yeah. What it was about. Well, and like one of the things they think is when they, that other family shot it is like, it kind of like enraged the bear. So like it kind of uh, equates humans with like, pain so yeah came back for revenge yeah essentially all right so in the early morning uh on december 10th they started searching for it like a search party comprising of 30 men was organized to capture the brown bear and recover the remains of the woman who was taken um they went the group was like they started going into the forest and no more than 150 meters in is when they met the brown bear so like the bear shows up pretty quick so Five people shot at the bear, but only one managed to hit it, which, guess what that happened? Enraged the bear even more. <laughs> but um, the the bear actually just ran away, though, and, like, it didn't really attack anyone, so it just fled. The hunters scouted the area and discovered dried blood on the snow, um, and then, like, beneath the snow was... They actually found the corpse of the woman, but it was only her head and part of her legs remaining. Oh so it was gosh. thus proven that the particular brown bear had... So this is, they were like, okay, this is the bear that attacked the the ota family so yeah so the bear stashed her body to basically preserve it um and hide it from scavengers as bears are wont to do um and then what happened is the villagers believe that once the bear had a taste for human flesh its return to the settlement was assured because it like started liking it the villagers went back to the ota families with guns um to maybe wait for the bear and then uh sure enough at 8 p.m guess who rolls in the bear (laughs) And uh, even though the villagers, they like, they were waiting for this bear. They were going to ambush this bear. Um, they were nothing less. They were panicked. Like it freaked them out because again, it's like a gigantic brown bear that has murdered yeah. at least two people that they know of shows up. Um, so they kind of started panicking. One man did shoot the bear. And again, I think about this, this bear has already taken like four bullets and it's like still right? going. Um, by the time the Corps of Guards, 50 guardmen posted 300 meters away at the neighboring Miyoki house, the bear had vanished in the woods. So basically the, the bear showed up, freaked a bunch of people out. They shot it again and it ran away and there was more guards farther down, but like they didn't make it in time and the bear um, headed back into the woods. So what happened was uh, when the news of the Ota family attack was first received by another family, they were called the Miyoke family, women and children sought refuge 
over at their house, um, gathering fear at the hearth fire while guardsmen patrolled outside. And so the guardsmen were like having dinner, you know, just kind of doing their thing. And then like nothing really happened. So the, they, uh, yeah, so like they kind of do their thing. Everyone's like, maybe everything will be all right. The bear hasn't showed up. Um, so while that's going on, because I think some of the guards left, Yayo Miyoyoki Yasutaro's wife was preparing a late meal while carrying her fourth son, Umikichi, on her back. She's Aww. doing her thing. While she's doing her thing, she hears a rumbling noise outside, but before she can investigate, so like, again, this is horrifying. So she's like, something's going on. She hears the rumbling. She's right about to go check it. And then right when she does, the bear breaks through the window. Stop. (laughs) So the cook pot on the hearth was overturned, dousing the flames, and then the ensuing panic of like, you know, the lamp going out and everything, uh, plunging the house into darkness. Um, Yayo tried to flee the house, but her second son, Yujiyoru clung to her legs, tripping her as she ran. Oh, shit. The bear attacked her and bit Umikichi. So, like, they're trying to run. The kid freaks, grabs the legs, they fall. Then the bear starts attacking them. That bitch had a flight response and her kid had a freeze. And it (laughs) killed them both. Yeah, it fucking got it. Um... So Odo had remained at the house as the only bodyguard. When he ran for the door, the bear released the mother and the child to pursue him. So he shows up, bear sees him, and then goes after oh my him. Gosh. Um he he jumped behind some furniture but uh, was clawed in the back, and then the bear started mauling Kinzo, the third son, and her uh, Haruyoshi, the fourth son, killing both the kids. So the bear attacks the guard, turns on the kids, basically murders them. Um, Jeez. And then he bit Iwawa, the third son. So then the next to be targeted was Take. And this is Saito Ishigura's pregnant wife. She was attacked, killed, and then eaten. And then, like, from later testimony, it says, Villagers heard Take begging the bear to not touch her belly, but to instead eat her head. So she was, like, putting her head to the bear to be like, eat this, don't kill my baby. Um, But then the later, the fetus was found alive from her corpse because the bear ripped it out. But the baby died shortly after. Oh my gosh. So this bear fucked up this family. Like, it is. Seriously. Like, it's horrifying, man. Um, This is insane. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So the guardsmen who had tracked the bear down river realized that they were not, in fact, on its trail. They hurried back to the settlement, and then a seriously injured Yayo met them and relayed the attack at the Miyoke family's house. The guards all ran back to rescue any survivors. When they arrived, the house was dark, but the sounds of an attack emerged. Believing that the bear had killed everyone inside, some of the guardsmen proposed just setting the house on fire, because they're like... Burn it at this point, man. Yeah, fuck like, it. Fuck it. Um, but then Yayo, hoping that some of the children were still alive, said, you know, don't do this. So the guardsmen divided into two groups. Um, and then, uh, let's see. So they divided into two groups. Uh, one giving the signal to the other group, set up a racket, shouting and rattling their weapons. And then, as expected, the bear appeared at the front door. The men had bunched up with lines of fire blocked by the guard at their head. Um, and the guard who goes to shoot the bear in the head, his rifle misfires. So, like, <gasps> no click um and then amid the general confusion and risk of crossfire the bear escaped into the night so bear came in 
murdered a bunch of people. Ten men show up to kill it. Nothing happens. And then, like, Bear just pieces out. This entire story takes place in, like, five days, yeah? Yeah, it's, like, yeah, from, like, the 9th to the 14th or something. So, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, it's, like, this is a rough fucking week for Hokkaido, Japan. <laughs> right? Um, oh gosh. So, yeah. So then the bear escapes. Um, a lot of the guards ended up, like, leaving just because, like, it freaked them out. Like, they're, like, basically, they're, like, this this bear isn't, this bear isn't a normal bear. We got to get the fuck out of here. So yeah. the only, uh, only the veterans of the Russo-Japanese war who, like, basically hardened war veterans were the ones who stayed. Everyone else is, like, yeah. fuck this, I'm out. So in the meantime, after this, um, Saito Ishigora, um, he didn't know what happened to his family. He just knew of what happened to the first. So he filed a report with authorities to, um, and to the district police before returning and then basically finding what happened to his family. So he got upset. Um, yeah. And then another man, they heard of someone and his name was Yamamoto. And this is where it gets like, this is a fucking movie. Like a part of me is like, seriously, did like a script writer write this? So they heard of a man, his name is Yamamoto Haikiichi, and he was an expert bear hunter. He spent his whole Great. life hunting bears. And so they go to him and they're like, look, we have a fucking problem. We got this bear. <laughs> it's murdering the shit of our people. Can you handle it? And Yamamoto, he, he hears about this bear and he's certain this bear is actually a bear he knows that escaped him called Kasegake, which is stands for the diagonal slash from the shoulder. So this is a bear that like has escaped this expert bear hunter and like oh is gosh. off. So, so I'm like, this is like a fucking movie, man. Like truly and so um and so he thinks it's this bear he calls it kasegake um which he knows which has been previously blamed for the mauling and deaths of three other women so Jeez. yeah so he's so not only has it killed these people but um haikiichi the bear hunter thinks it's killed also three other women so this thing's got a body count if it's the same bear of like it's already now up to like i think seven yeah so they're like hey you should come do this. This time in his life, though, uh, Yamamoto's old, and he's uh, he's like, "Sorry, guys, I uh, pawned my gun because I needed to buy liquor." So <laughs> Me. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he refuses their request for aid, um, just because he's like, "I don't want to hunt bears. I'm old, and also I don't have a gun because uh, you know I sold it for liquor money." Because you know he was like, you know he this bear got away. And he was like, fuck bears, man. And he's like, I'm I'm hanging it up. I'm retiring. The yeah. gun is being sold for liquor. I'm out. And then these people came to him and they were like, please help. And he was like, uh-uh, this was the bear that made me give it up. It's, it's like all those movies, like, we got one last score. And he's like, nah, man, I'm out of the whatever we're doing. And they're like, right. no, we got to. So no, it's like, it's like all of that. It's great. I love it. Um, so on December 11th, Yasutaro and Ishigoro, they return back to the town and they notice that the villagers gathered at the branch school. Um, then that's when they figure out what happened the second mauling. And a group of men was formed to kill the bear. Um, they decided to wait for the bear at the Miyoki's residence, believing that the bear would appear. But then the night passed, the bear never showed up. So December 12th, um, so the news of the bear reaches Hokkaido's government office. And he the, the leadership basically organizes like a sniper team to go up 
to get rid of the bear. Guns and volunteers for the team were gathered from nearby towns, and um, um, they were given permission basically to like free reign, kill this bear, get rid of it. So they start heading up. So December 12th, the brown bear doesn't show back up. Thinking of the future, the team decided to exterminate the bear even if they had to mobilize every possible resource. It was decided that the bear would probably try to retrieve the bodies of those it would kill, but there were no remains at the Miyoki family house. So they're basically, they start going to like look for the bodies because they're thinking the bear's hiding them to like find them. Um, so this this is great. This is a great plan <laughs> what they come up with. So therefore a new plan was proposed to lure the bear out. They were going to get a corpse of one of the victims it killed in the last slaughter. The plan was widely condemned, especially by the Ota, Saito, and Miyoki families as they were the ones who were attacked. But it was yeah. decided that for the future of the village, it was the best plan. So within the day, they basically got one of the corpses and uh, they basically um, put it outside of the house to hopefully... Like it's bait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to lure the bear to lure what was the bear's name again it's got a cool name kasegake so basically to lure kasegake back out let's see where am i at so the six member sniper team which they actually get the old the old bear hunter yamamoto they actually got him because the hokkaido government's like look we'll give you a gun you're really great at this you can like lead our snipers and he's like okay and they're like we'll also give you a bunch of alcohol he's like even better yeah i'm into this i was gonna say where they like here's some booze come help us fight this and he was like yeah so you know he danny glovers himself and gets in the hokkaido (laughs) so he's ready to fight this bear so they get the body they wait outside they put it outside the house the six member sniper team wait inside um so what happens is they hear like they hear the bear and they're like here it comes but what happens is um this is fucking great. The bear basically stops by the house, sniffs and looks in the house, um, sees the people and leaves. It like almost like almost like this is a trap. So the bear He's just like... fucks off into the woods. Um, <laughs> so the bear just leaves and the plan ended in failure. And some of the families were upset because it's like you basically exhumed our our family's dead bodies for nothing. Right. And then like Yamamoto is like, look. Kasegake is like a goddamn demon. Like it, yeah. it's like it knew we were there. So December. I was th- gonna say, did they did were there any like superstitions around it that it was actually like a demon or that it was possessed or something? Because they were like, what the hell is wrong with this bear? Um, it I I don't I don't know. I I'm sure there was, but like in in some of the just like just the basic Wikipedia and stuff, it doesn't like really go into that. But like, I mean. I would. I mean, because it's like freaking people out. It already has a rep. Like, and just like this, yeah. this night where it's like, we're going to get this bear. It checks the house and then is like, nope, they're snipers. I can see you. It's like, see you bitches. And then it's like, out. Truly. Aren't, aren't Japanese people fairly superstitious anyway? Or am I making that up? It, they can be. And I'm sure back then, because this is like up in yeah. the north, I believe, Hokkaido, and it was still very like untamed land type of area. I'm sure yeah, there was. Yeah, it's very like some. rural and yeah. Mm-hmm. And like I said, because they, they were, it was a community that was used to having like wild animals come on because it's like, again, you're living in this bear or, or whatever. You're in their territory. So it's like, of course, they're going to come onto your property. But yeah. as, as a, I don't know, like some of the little stuff I read, like, because there's 
there's it's one of those things like what what has been like embellished by kind of like storytelling or what is history because sure. like some people view Yamamoto like he was like kind of Ahabby like where he's like no this bear is like the demon we're gonna kill it but then other was like no he was more just like man it's just a fucking bear this is just a little abnormal for bears but like right he was just like it's still an animal but all right all right so December 13th. So at dawn, a search team discovered that the Ota family, which was the first family that was attacked, their house was ransacked. Because what happened was the bearer found out <laughs> snipers here going back to the first house. Uh, so the bear broke into the house and ate all their winter stockpile and like took all the food. And then they found <laughs> out. So this is what's even better. The bear had damaged at least eight houses in the night like looking for food but no one could find it so it's like it's like my gosh mini town rampage on this fucking bear truly he's pissed off i love that he goes back to that family's house and he's just like oh you're gonna set a trap for me i'm gonna eat all your shit like exactly. like what it's like the most like like revengey bear i've ever heard of in my life yeah like i, I said, love it this would be such a good movie man I, there's there is a movie version i want to see if i can find it i'd like to watch it heck um, yeah Let's see. So they found out that he had attacked some of the houses. Suga motivated the men um, from by cheering from the village outside, giving that so sixty men showed up. It was decided that they would hunt in the surrounding mountains. Um, Kasagake, the bear, now seemed to lack prudence and stretched its territory downstream. So he's starting to branch out. Um, and so the police captain, who's Suga, he recognized this increasing risk. He made an ice bridge as a line of defense and then arranged snipers and guards. That night, a sniper at the bridge thought he saw something in the shadows of the tree stumps on the opposite shore. So they let Suga know and uh, they thought it may have been a man's shadow or the bear. When he spoke to it, however, he received no reply and ordered the snipers that open fire at that moment the shadow apparently the that at that moment the shadow apparently that of kasegake disappeared into the forest they were disappointed having failed to kill the bear but the captain thought he heard, he heard some response for it. so basically the bear shows up his team of snipers shoot at it and again like it fucks off into the woods it's like oh. i'm a phantom yeah hold on that's child my, that's my kid. hold on one second sorry about that no, you're totally fine. He uh, he had to show me uh, what... Here, I'll just show you. It's pretty great. Yeah. So he has this Gundam toy. It's like a robot. And he put socks on its legs. Because <laughs> <laughs> he thinks that's, uh, that's the greatest thing ever. I mean, that's what you do. You put socks on legs. Yeah, exactly. He's not wrong. <laughs> I All love right. it. Um, okay. Let's see. So the next day, December 14th, uh, a team investigating the operator shore found the bear's footprint and blood there. So it was Kasegake. He had been wounded again. And, uh, <laughs> but the problem was there were snowstorms coming and they were threatening to cover any tracks that Kasegake made. So they were basically at this critical, opp critical opportunity to basically like, we have to hunt down this bear right now. Or we're going to lose it. Yeah, right. Um, so Yamamoto, the old, um, the old bear hunter and a guy named Ike Ikeda Kamijiro. He was a guide. They immediately set out after the bear and Yamamoto decided to track the bear with a team of two, as he said, it would be quicker than trying to like, like huff out 60 
guy. So he's like, him and this other tracker, he's like, we're just going to do it. Yamamoto was familiar with Kasegake's behavior, and he successfully tracked him down within, um, it looks like within a few hours. And he found the bear resting near a Japanese oak by a river. So this bear's probably just like, hmm, life is good. Right. Um, he approached to within 20 meters of the bear and shot at it. His first shot hit the bear's heart, and the sh- second shot hit the bear's head, fatally wounding Kaseyake. When it finally died, the bear was 749 pounds, and it was 8.85 feet tall. Jeez. They did a necropsy. A necropsy was carried out on the bear, during which they opened the stomach and they found many parts of the victims that had killed within its stomach. While at the time the skull and some of the fur of the bear were kept, they were later lost and no traces of Kasegake were left. So they did keep some of it, but then like, yeah, it was lost to time. Um, so the Jeez. aftermath of it, Yayo, who was, uh, he received head wounds in the attack, made a full recovery, but Miyoko Umakichi, who was bitten by the bear while being carried on his mother's back, he died less than three years later from the wounds he had suffered. Um, wow. Odo recovered from injury and returned to work, but next spring he fell in the river and died. So that's sad. Um, Maybe these people People were just supposed to die and the bear was like i'm just like handing out the will of god and a couple of them managed to get away <laughs> yeah exactly it's like he's gonna die anyway <laughs> just let me take care of it right he's like it's fine um and then yeah after the attack most of the villagers left and the town soon became uh, a ghost town one of the people okawa harayoshi who was seven year old who was seven years old and the son of a village the village mayor at the time he basically grew he he developed a huge vendetta and hatred towards bears and he swore and he actually grew up to become a prolific bear hunter he swore an oath to kill 10 bears for every victim of the attack by the time he reached the age of 62 he had killed 102 bears jeez he then retired and constructed the bear harm sentufa a shrine where people can pray for the dead villagers and then <laughs> it's in it says uh yamamoto the bear hunter was just kind of lost to time he just kind of probably got into another bottle and disappeared yeah. so he was like i am actually retiring this time do not contact me i've i've killed my whale we're good yeah like, exactly <laughs> And, Let me uh, have the end of a bottle. But yeah, so that that's pretty much it. So this, like I said, it took place over like, yeah, from December 9th to the 14th, it looked like. So yeah, it's a relatively Jeez. short time and a lot, lot of murder, a lot of bear murder. Yeah, just, I mean, just a touch. That bear was, I mean... <laughs> I don't even know the right word for it. I'm like, incredible, but also like, what's the opposite of that? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's the most destructive bear I've ever heard of. Yeah. So, no, but yeah, so that's the uh, Sen- Senkibetsu brown bear incident of Japan. Awesome. I love it. I've never heard of it before. I want it to be a movie. Yeah. There's actually <laughs> a great Korean movie called uh, The Tiger, An Old Hunter's Tale. It's almost exactly the same story only Hmm. a giant tiger in korea instead of a bear in japan it's a great movie so but no i think i think this should be a movie like it would be so good like yeah it like i said it has like everything that a movie like this would have it's like the bear attacks people look for help there's an old grizzled bear hunter who's like right not only is he old and grizzled which is always a great character but then has 
history with the bear they're hunting. Right? So it's like... He's like, no, no, no. And they're like, it's this bear. And he's like, hang on. He's <laughs> Let like, me grab a gun. He's like, wait, which bear is it? And then he's like, oh, yeah, that's the bear I tried to kill. And, you know, I failed. Yeah. And now I'm a drunk. I love it. So... Well- that was amazing. Thank you for being on the podcast. I'll let you get to your child. <laughs> no worries. This was awesome. <laughs> uh, we'll have to do it again. Because like I said, I sent you that list of all the his- historical like moments. Where I'm like, this would be fun to talk about. Heck yeah, any of them. Like I said, it was funny because I was like really worried about like, oh, is it going to be like good? Like, Because I've, I've <laughs> read this story a bunch in the last week to try to like prepare for it. And I was like... Yeah. And I know you're like, oh, no worries. But I still feel like, ugh, I feel like I didn't do that great. No, it was great. Mine, I wrote like days and days and days ago and haven't looked at it since until today. And I was like scrolling through going, I don't remember this part of this story. <laughs> <laughs> like so unprepared. Again, yeah. very half-assed. Yeah. So, but that's the point, right? It is. It's the exact point. So don't worry. You did great. I have never heard of that story. I'm guessing most people have not. And it's rad. So it's one of my favorite like historical moments. There was actually I found because like I love this shit, and it was like yeah. There's actually a couple stories like this. Like there's a story about this rogue elephant in Africa that murdered a bunch of people. I think there's Need. there's one of a killer crocodile in Africa that I forgot what its name is. It's like it's something like Johan, and it's like the biggest like crocodile in like africa and it's murdered like tons of people and like there's pictures of it and it has like scars like because people have like shot it with like ak's and it like doesn't die so a part of me was like we should maybe i'll just do a series every time i come on it's like here's a new animal murderer (laughs) please do because i did the beast of jovedon sorry it just started to pour outside of my house all of a sudden so cool i didn't know it was gonna rain um but I did The Beast of Jovedon, and I was like, this is the coolest shit in the world. Like, I love those stories of just, like, there's this random animal that they don't know what the heck it is, and it's just killing people. Yeah. No, I love, I've always loved these stories. And so, like, this, the bear incident, I'm like, this is, this is for me. I love everything yep. about this. Same. And I love bears. So, yeah. I, I was, like, sold when you said it. I was like, Yes. There was a part of me that was like legitimately going to ask like a friend to draw like a mock-up of this bear. And I was like, I kind of want to get it as a tattoo because this is a badass bear. Do it. I have the California grizzly outline on my foot, like from the flag. Yeah. So I was just like, I love bears and I love California. (laughs) So it works. It works perfectly. Exactly. Awesome. (sighs) Cool. Well, thank you again. Yes. Go go hang out with your dumb baby. Yeah, I'm going to go hang out (laughs) with dumb baby. Feed him some dumb lunch for his big dumb face. <laughs> I love that kid. I love every time you see you say the word dumb baby because I'm like, this is the funniest thing. <laughs> Hold on, he's, he's great. He's at the door. He's like, daddy, daddy. Oh my gosh, I love it. Okay. All right. Go deal with him. All right. Thank you. See ya. Bye. Bye.